0: Everybody's going for those Kinky Boots, Kinky Boots
1: Kinky Boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the boots.
0: Borrowed from the boots, Kinky Boots
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this week we're on to Series 1, Episode 11 of The Avengers. Please don't feed the animals. (laughs) This was written by Dennis Spooner and it was recorded on the 30th of March 1961 for a broadcast on the 1st of April 1961 in the ABC and Anglia regions. This was the last one before it was pushed out to all the other regions. Now for once, it was broadcast at 8.35pm rather than its usual 10pm slot. There are no telesnaps, there's one dubious publicity still from the TV Times that we're not even sure comes from the episode. There is a full script belonging to Sylvia Langton-Down, and this was used by Big Finish to make their audio reconstruction, which can be found on Volume 2 of The Lost Episodes, and it's adapted by John Dorney. Dr. Exton, do you have a precy
2: for us? Again, from Dave Rogers' Ultimate Avengers. Compromised government officials are leaking secrets to appease a sinister blackmailer. Felgate, a junior civil servant, is being watched by Steed, who has been planted in the same office. Steed and Keel tag along when Felgate delivers a package to a private zoo. Though Steed keeps a close watch on the package, it mysteriously disappears from the reptile pit. Somebody is making a monkey out of Steed, who, intentionally, becomes the next blackmail victim. This time Keel follows the package and sees a small monkey retrieve the information. The trail leads to Renton Stevens, the owner of the zoo, whose ambitions are thwarted by Steed and the police.
0: Need a lift? Where's your other car? Too showy for this largo boy. This is my runabout. Wonder where he's going. He won't catch a bus for home from that stop. I didn't find out much. He wanted to see the boss man and went into the back. I couldn't follow him there. How did he seem? Oh, worried. So, you're now employed by Her Majesty's government as a pen pusher. I'm sharing an office with Fellgate. What's he done? A quiet investigation was carried out. ...and it was found that Felgate had been drawing a great deal of money from his bank for no accountable reason. It might only be a coincidence, of course, but last month a government clerk working on ciphers like Felgate... ...was found dead at Brinkley House. Isn't that the place that was turned into a sort of private zoo? Yes. He fell into a pit with a lot of crocodiles in it. We learned afterward that he had also drawn a lot of money out of the bank. So what are you going to do? I'm hoping that whatever is happening to him might happen to me. I've got a nice little suburban background all laid on. I said you'd settle down. I'm married, you know. She doesn't understand me, but she has money. Ah, has she got a sister? Hmm. Look, he's getting on that bus. Let's follow him.
1: What have we got in
2: terms of alumni? Do we have any Who alumni? We do. The major star of this is Tenniel Evans, who was Major daily in the Carnival of Monsters. He was in a lot of TV and particularly telefantasy. fantasy We'll see him again another three times in the Avengers as we go through. Wasn't he in the Navy, Lark? He was, he was in the Navy Lark. Um, he appeared in Knights of God, in Raven, in The Ghosts of Motley Hall, Randall and Hopkirk Deceased, Undermined, and in two episodes of Out of the Unknown, Succubate and The Prophet. Um, and one of those still exists. Succubate, it's an extremely good episode. He was also a direct descendant of Mary Ann Evans, who's better known as George Eliot, the authoress of Mill on the Floss, Middlemarch and Tenniel Evans himself ended up being ordained. Well, I didn't know any of that. We also have Charlie Bird, who will appear in three more episodes of The Avengers. He was in the 1950s version of The Invisible Man and the Out of This World episode, The Dark Star. Carol Boyer was in the Out of the Unknown episode, Random Quest. Alistair Hunter was in the Mystery and Imagination episode of The Devil's Piper and also the Quatermass and the Pit film. And Richard Neller will appear in five more episodes of The Avengers.
1: Yes, he was the perennial extra and his name, the kept getting wrong it was uh, er and or it, or is the correct spelling but it was er a few times i believe you really enjoyed this one didn't you because i know you were looking forward I, to to revisiting it
2: i did with the with the zoo and the trained monkey it it had a, a real element of avengers whimsy about it the blackmail plot and all the setup was a little bit pedestrian to be perfectly honest It uh, it didn't grip me And I really wanted it to
1: because you'd really sung about this. And it was very good. And I liked the setting and all the characters were well-rounded. But I just started drifting a little bit. Again, I can't say why, because the the actual plot, the setting's very unusual. Um, The way that they go about exchanging the money, why it needs to be thrown into a crocodile pit, not entirely sure. But it was all very interesting and and different, and a far cry from the -the run-of-the-mill sort of investigative dramas that you you got at the period, and indeed after that, for, for a long time. I just can't say why it wasn't entirely there for me. The one thing I will say, this is the first episode for me where they've started to feel like an investigative team. They're working together. Keel and Steed both have sort of equal screen time, for want of a better word, even though we've only got the audio version. And they are working in tandem rather than Steed sending Keel out to something or Steed being out in the field and then, Keel, can you pop along and give me a lift with this bit? They were very much together as a team for this.
2: Yeah. And I think my enthusiasm for this in retrospect is looking back to when I first heard the audios when they were released. What, 2012, 2013, something like that? It and would have I, been, yeah, a little bit after, yeah. And it's the zoo stuff that I remember. It it was the quirky, it's the little monkey with the neon-painted hands. That's the bit I remember. That slightly dull and very conventional blackmail plot. No, it was good. It was very much of its time. It didn't really enthuse. And I can understand why this didn't really appeal to that much because that bit is the majority of the plot the stuff that i liked is very much in the minority so the stuff that you did enjoy was They'd, all the stuff around the zoo now there were a couple of extra comments that i've got in that keel being charged with drunken disorderly Maybe things were different in the early 60s, but now that will be an automatic referral to the GMC. <laughs> your, your boots wouldn't even touch the floor. Any problem Any problem with the police, we are up before the GMC.
1: Yeah, I have heard stories of nurses going into work the morning after a party or something. Uh, patients caught a whiff of something on the breath. they have been dismissed, the end.
2: They would probably have been tested for alcohol. Oh, yeah,
1: I imagine so. But even so, it's, I imagine we take a very dim view of anyone with oh, alcohol
2: still in the system. If, if any of us were to turn up to work pissed, then we would be sacked. No question about it whatsoever. Off you go. Next up, the GMC or the NMC. Don't expect to be to be employed again. And any involvement with the police at all. You take a caution. You're up before the GMC. No matter how minor a thing, it's a caution for. But things things may have been different sixty odd years ago. Oh, well, a lot of things were
1: different. I mean, this, bear in mind this was pre breathalyzer. They still had blood tests. Uh, they did, but I, and, and urine tests. I th- when did they come in?
2: Anyway, but you don't, you don't test for blood, You don't test for alcohol in urine. Oh, not any, but they used to though in the sixties. I'm sure they did. Well, no, because the whole point is that it's been. Well, unless you're absolutely bladdered and it's just going straight through you, but you would need to have a lot on board for that. Anyway,
1: yes, but, uh, yeah, times change. There's a lot of stuff in this that... uh, This is why I do quite like these. Um, I know that you've mentioned it before about the Adam Adamant stuff. It's raw, unadulterated script from the 60s, including all the references to drinking, smoking, and stuff that just doesn't go on now, like the... um, the back to front CPR. Oh, the Holger Nielsen. I love all that. I think it's a window into another time, and it 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 really endears it to me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. In the, in the same way that um, I I have a friend who's a historian, and she says that the thing that you learn the most about from looking back at old telly is the soap operas, because that's a this is how we lived. And, you know, fifty years time, people will look back on EastEnders and Coronation Street and not look at the storylines, but will be looking at the things in the background, so washing up and kettles and things that may may or may not still be being done or being done in a different way. Well, I recently rewatched
1: the first episode of Coronation Street, and I love it. I live in a terraced house, and so. All that sings back to a time that I was never a part of, but there were coal fires and people with droplet tables in the living room where everybody, they lived eight and just everything happened in one room in a terraced house in those days.
2: I was going to say, would this be in
1: preparation for any kind of podcast episode, perhaps? Um, no, actually, uh, just for once, I was watching Archive TV, not for research purposes, purely for pleasure. Uh, because I was reading Bill Tamey's autobiography. But it was a window into a time that doesn't happen anymore. People don't live in one room. They don't all sit round with a plate of bread and butter in... Shirts and ties with braces having come in from work and mend bicycles in front of the fire and listen to the pools on the radio. It just doesn't happen anymore. But you've said this before about soap operas and TV of the time. They are good windows to the past. And just from listening to some of these Avengers scripts, there's stuff in there that I really, really, particularly from this first series, I really wish we could see. Because it's very early 60s, and the series itself was still quite
2: raw. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. And we could spend a long time talking about 60s TV programmes other than the Avengers, and we have a whole other podcast that does that. Uh, And we did show... (laughs) A little degree of enthusiasm about it. So pulling back to the episode that, that we've watched, um, one the one other note that I have is that it's only just over a couple of months since the the first episode was transmitted, and when Steed is talking about his fake wife with Keel, and Keel just throws in, "Oh, does she have a sister?" That just rings a little bit hollow when you bear in mind the whole reason that Keel is doing this in the first place, um, and harking back to Peggy. Well,
1: she's been dead nine weeks. He's had time to get over her. Mm, yeah, that was the one bit I was going to come on to actually. Uh, the, it's the, there's a mention there of Steed's wife, but I didn't get the fake bit, or have I missed something there?
2: Yeah, Steed has a fake wife, which is the whole reason that he's able to be blackmailed by the strip club because if he didn't ha- if he didn't have a wife at home, then it would just be single bloke in a in a strip club, and where's the blackmail potential in that?
1: I'd that he really did have a wife. I, I skipped over that bit. But like I say, I zoned in and out of this episode and I don't really... I feel a bit unfair when that happens, but it's like anything. If it doesn't grip me, it doesn't grip
2: me. I was going to say, to be perfectly honest, the memory does cheat on this one because I remember loving it when I heard it first time around. And this time, not so much. Can you pin it down as to why? Yeah, because the stuff that I remembered was all the zoo stuff, which was quirky and interesting. I think it would have been more fun had the daughter turned out to be the villain um, and the the father the stooge, but that that's not the way the plot was.
1: It wasn't bad, but I think we're getting to the stage now where we should rate this in masterminds.
2: for all it wasn't as great as i remember i did really enjoy the episode the zoo stuff was was marvelous the blackmail plot was well done and it was of its time it's just it just wasn't particularly exciting but i'm still going to give it a 4 yeah i
1: because I did the zoning out thing, I'm gonna give it a three. But there's nothing particularly wrong with it. This is why I, I feel bad about that sometimes. The thing about these Big Finish things, and it's a testament to the scripts that were written back in the early sixties. They are they conjure up the images and that's you know, Big Finish sound design of course. But they they transport you to that world And the dialogue's very good. And the stories, by and large, they are quite good. But inevitably, not all of them are going to land as hard as as others. So, yeah, it's a three for me, but uh, I, I think it's a lot of the time. It's down to personal taste. Yes. But on that note, I shall sign us off. Next week, we'll be back when we'll be listening to episode 12, which is Dance with Death. Until then, thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed it. We'll speak to you soon. Goodbye now.
0: They'll be back. You can depend on it.
1: Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, with thanks to Studio Canal, Big Finish Productions, and Alan Hayes. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee, and the program was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.